0: On episode two of Modiphius Calling, we hear from superstar RPG writer Ken Height and Paolo Parente, creator of the Dust Universe. We're designing the role playing game. Plus, Chris brings back loads of gaming booty from Gen Con and a mammoth edition of What's on Your Table. We also discuss the best new board games for the iPad. Running time for this episode is one hour, twenty three minutes. Yeah.
1: Hi, and welcome to Modiphius Calling. It's the official podcast from Modiphius Entertainment. I am Chris Birch, the founder of Modiphius. And I'm Joshua Connor, and I am an editor
0: and writer for Modiphius. So, Chris, uh, you've just come back from Gen Con, the sort of like a
1: big gala event of gaming. Um, what was it like? Wow. I mean, that was like a mecca of gaming. It's amazing. Um, where do I start? Uh, okay, so Shadows of Estran... Bloody fantastic uh, looking Celtic fantasy game with a hint of steampunk in there. Um, mm. These bunch of really, really nice guys from France. They're a collective of writers and designers and artists. And they've produced these stunningly beautiful range of books based around the world of Estrin. And um, there's floor plans, there's GM screen, there's kind of the couple of big hardback books, um, big introductions. There's quite a lot of stuff already. And really, it's just really beautiful. Um, they w- were so lovely, really humble. They picked up three awards uh, at the Ennies and everyone was so happy for them. Really lovely guys. Couldn't have happened to, you know, a nicer bunch. And um, they were kind of one of the big hits of the show. Everyone was going past their stand to check out the stuff. Um, One of the things I saw this year, I mean, it's obviously much bigger. Last time I was there was about four years ago, and the show has grown and grown and grown and I don't know if there's more people um, that are getting into gaming or it's more gamers are coming to Gen Con, but it's definitely a bigger attraction. I mean, even if you get out of the trade hall, and I've not really done that much before, Once you get outside the trade hall, you realize actually how many people are there. I walked into this one big hall where they had board games and war games going on, and it's vast. I mean, you're talking hundreds of tables. If each table with like 10 people around it, there are so many people playing games, and it's in that hall, and then there's you've got the big true dungeon, which had a real bar, which is cool, and, and um, loads of stuff to do if you're interested in live role playing. They had other big halls, they had a video games hall, they've got dozens of hotels all with gaming events going on, and it's enormous, it really is huge, and you can't even begin to scratch the surface of what's going on which is kind of why you always had this sense that oh you know maybe there's a really good game going on somewhere else but there was just so much great stuff to do and you know sometimes I wish it would be great to be there and not actually be working not actually be um, promoting some games but obviously I love doing that as well and just the chance to get to play some games you have to really kind of find time and we managed to play a few in the evenings which was great but there was some amazing stuff uh, going on Eldritch Skies won of course the the Judge Choice Any Award, which is kind of Cthulhu in space. Um, there was uh, a, a great product called the Cobalt Guide to World Building, which won an award, and um, that's a great guide to kind of basically building worlds. Uh, yeah, I'm um, familiar with but, their
0: their magazine um, and some of the other guides. So, what was? It? Tell me a little bit more about that guide. Like what? So what it's.
1: It's got pieces by Monty Cook, Wolfgang Baer, David Zeb Cook, Chris Premas, um, Michael A. Stackpole, all kinds of people talking about kind of short pieces about how to build um, a world, how to build a fascinating world um, that draws players and readers in. And... um, uh, it's it's got some great stuff in it, and I'm just starting to read it. There was some great stuff from Fantasy Flight. They're showing off a new Battle Law Second Edition, and I, I had the first edition, which is an amazing game.
0: That's what I have, uh, and I've i looked at the one, the Battles of Westeros, and I was like, okay, I'm really happy that I got the one that I got. So, how is this new one sort of? Yeah. Uh,
1: okay, so if, if you know if you know Battle Law, there were four figures a hex, you know, down to three from the looks of it. This is just based on a conversation. I didn't get to play it. But I was watching some people playing it, and it looks pretty cool. They, the hex is a bit bigger. You've now got a much wider range of figures in the box. You've got all kinds of different monsters on both sides. So there are things that looked like kind of manticores, there are giants like spiders, all kinds of really cool stuff. And as well as to kind of human fighters, and then they've done away with the scenario book and you now draw a card which shows you the setup of the terrain and your forces on your side of the board and you match up with the enemy's setup cards. So you get a unique scenario every time, which is a great idea.
0: Now I remember that uh, the scenario book, uh, what it was good at was it taught you how to play the game sort of step by step. Have they simplified the yeah. rules or streamlined them in any way so that you uh, can just start with these cards?
1: I don't know, can't say, but it it looks like they have streamlined it somewhat from what I could tell. And I don't know whether there's an introductory series of missions. I wouldn't be surprised if there is because it's a great way of introducing people. But it was very, it looked more colorful. It looked cool. You know, you didn't have, um, you had two different colors of uh, enemy forces, for example. So you didn't have all the same uh, colored figures uh, with different coloured banners. So it you know, it looks great. So it's definitely on my kind of um possible shopping list. They also had the new beta for the next um in uh, instalment in the um uh Star Wars role playing game. What's that gonna uh, be
0: like? I've seen I think I've seen pictures, but I wanted to know more. I just remember the old uh,
1: West End games one. It's all about playing the rebels now as opposed to uh just smugglers. So they're introducing another kind of layer of character types and rules and things. Um, I mean, they had a ton of stuff they, they were showing off that I think a lot of new games are going to be launching at Essen, which is going to be exciting. Um, Gale Force 9, of course, they've taken over distribution of Dust Tactics. So, Paolo Parente was there, and we've got a, a chat with him a bit later. Um, they were also had the Firefly board game, which looked pretty cool, and you couldn't get that for love or money because that is was, exciting. Yeah, there was a queue every morning to pick up the few copies that they'd spread out over every day which is a good idea. I think there's nothing worse than like, you know, you get there on the Friday and you find out that everything's sold out on the Thursday. Well, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Pezo had the uh, Pathfinder card game that was, you know, you know, pretty much sold out. Um, Margaret Weiss is launching the Firefly role playing game, which uses the new, you know, the new Cortex system. So obviously, um, yeah, Firefly getting a great outing at the show. Um, a lot of stuff, usual, great selection of uh, cosplayers, Tons of people in steampunk, that is everywhere. And then there was a lot of stores selling some really beautiful steampunk gear. I mean, stunning hats and jackets and and holsters and cool, you know, uh steampunk weapons and swords. I mean, if you're into costumes, it's just you could go mad and the prices were amazing compared to like in England, you know, there was some great stuff. I wish I had another suitcase to bring. That so would have been amazing.
0: They had steampunk stuff. Now, what about diesel punk? Because obviously, Octan Cthulhu is more diesel punk, and there's another a couple games that are coming out uh, that are sort of more
1: the diesel punk <laughs> thing. There obviously is um, the Dust Adventures role-playing game that we're doing, which is very, very diesel punk. There is the uh, Music Chronicles game, which is sort of far is futuristic uh, diesel punk. Now, there was also another great game I discovered, the Warbirds role-playing game, where you play rock star fighter pilots in a diesel punk near future and I think these kind of floating islands and it's really cool and it, it's got Dim Martin the artist from Acting Cthulhu who's done the artwork in it and they were these guys were just around the corner they're all from Canada lovely bunch um, we played some games together ended up playing Cards Against Humanity on the last night which is uh, you know <laughs> always <it> is. fun <laughs> But yeah, this game's great. I can't wait to start reading it properly. And, yeah, it um, seems Dieselpunk is really
0: kind of coming to, into its own with these yeah,
1: new games. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, uh, Steampunk's been here for a while. It's really, you're starting to see Dieselpunk fashion in all the shops now. So uh, the sort of Dieselpunk stuff is really starting to come through. It's great. And there was so much stuff. Um, y- there were so many cool new products. I mean, I even saw old, like, meta games and Steve Jackson little kind of board games that I remember as a kid. Um, obviously, the uh, Steve Jackson games were showing off the um, massive Ogre game that they kick-started with all the kind of... Um, die cut sort of pieces in it which was in the box was so heavy it's ridiculous uh but that brought back a lot of memories and i was standing around a few guys who were going yeah i remember getting the original little metagame that for like five bucks or something you know back in the mid 80s and um and it reminded me of when i got that was the first kind of fantasy strategy game that i got um, when I was about nine from a little art shop and um, discovered all this sort of world of uh, strategy games and hex-based games. You know, that's what led me down this path. It's incredible. So it's funny how little things, you know, kick you off on, the, on, these, on these routes.
0: And I think that it's fantastic that Kickstarter gives us the opportunity to play some of these games that have been out of print for a really long time. And I'm looking at the way they've done the die-cut stuff is that they're actually like little miniatures, but they're made from bits of die-cut card that you assemble
1: and you put yeah. together. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a really tough card, and it, but it's really heavy. <laughs> I mean, that was the only problem was the postage to the UK was so expensive, so it's one of the reasons I didn't go in on it, but it's it's a beautiful set. And, I, you know, the other great thing is I managed to pick up a lot of interviews uh, for the show. Whilst I was there, I got talking to Charlie Crank from Kersium. uh I got talking to Chris Premas from Green Ronin, the N-World guys, uh, Jeff Combo, who obviously designed the fantastic Hollow. Uh, Earth Expeditions game uh, Ken Height, we're about to uh, have a chat to, Margaret Weiss, Monty Cook and Paolo Parente, plus we got the two GMs and one mic guys Erin um, uh, Huss from Role Players Chronicle Chris and Rob from Accidental Survivors we've got a whole bunch of other uh, podcasts going to be joining us on the show so it was fantastic catching up with so many people and talking to them you know, about their games and how they got into the industry and that's kind of what I wanted to Get them talking on the show about is you know what they're doing and and just share a bit about what got them into gaming what got them passionate about this industry
0: yeah i think because we should probably mention something about that because this is while we are Modifius calling this uh podcast is not just about the stuff that we're doing is it
1: yeah that's right i mean it's of course you can talk about your own stuff but um you know, let's face it, everyone at that show is playing everyone else's gaming, games. We're all wandering past each other's stands going wow, that's cool! <laughs> you know, whilst <laughs> I was, uh, whilst I was uh, talking to the Shadows of Estran guys um, uh, Lisa uh, from Peso came by and was c- congratulating them on, on winning the award and she was saying this game looks so amazing and uh, you know, so we were all chatting away and she said oh well done on, you know, getting the Acting Cthulhu award because of course we picked up Best adventure for Sarah Newton's uh, Three Kings Adventure Fractal Cthulhu which was fantastic and, and so everyone because we're all playing games we all love games we're all you know, wandering around going oh I really want that I really want that and I really want that and um, we're all like little kids getting excited about other people's stuff and so it's, that's why it's so fantastic to be able to share with each other and talk talk to people about the games and you know everyone's very approachable you know everyone can go even the biggest name designers you can just walk up to and go oh, hi my name's blah, blah, you know, I just wanted to ask you about your game. And, you know, they're, they're not mega stars. Everyone's just really open and friendly, which is great. So, and, and we managed to, you know, we, we had a massive stand. Chronicle City had a lot of stuff on their stand. We were sharing with them. So they had the Broken Shield game, based on based on Gobian Roland's novels, which uh, is a sort of dark, sort of future noir game. Um, we had Eldritch Skies there that won the um, Judges' Choice Award. Um, we had uh, Monsters and Magic from Sarah Newton her new kind of retro fan. Game. there was a bucket load of stuff and we also had Cogs Cakes and Sword Sticks Lynn Hardy's um, steampunk role playing game and the you know the first um, adventures for and Cthulhu so and it was brilliant because we met so many of the backers for Acton Cthulhu that came by to say hello at the stand we had tons of of Dust fans coming to go. I've seen the banner. tell me about what you're doing with Dust. Uh, we have tons of Mutant Chronicles fans coming and going, so what's going on? And so it's brilliant just getting to meet people and, and see how passionate they were and how excited they were. And that makes, you know, all the hard work, all the hard work, setting up the stand, the traveling, you know, we didn't have a lot of stuff to sell as Medifius, but just meeting everyone and them being so excited about what we're doing makes it all worthwhile, you know?
0: And um, tell us a little bit about, uh, because we're going to get into a couple of interviews. We've got Paulo Parente, which is going to be a big draw later in the program. But um, can you give us a bit of an introduction into Ken Haidt, who I think is our first interview on the show today?
1: Yeah. Okay. So Ken Haidt, I've known for ages, actually. I met him, I think, at the Dragon Meat Convention in the UK. He was a guest speaker there. I then met him again at um, Gen Con about four years ago when Starblazer Adventures was nominated for an Emmy and i mean it was amazing that we got nominated we didn't win at the time we were up against very stiff competition and he came up and said you know what chris the biggest thing is that you got nominated that is you know everyone's really impressed and you know just be really pleased whether you win or not it's not a big deal and he's always been a, you know a, giving us great advice you know he's a lovely character he's I mean, this guy is one of the most prolific writers I've known. What are some of
0: his credits uh, for the people who may not know? Okay,
1: so he's written or contributed to a ton of GURP supplements like the third edition of GURP's Horror, uh, GURP's Infinite World, which was the um, 2005 Origins Award winner for best role-playing game supplement of the year, he did Weird War II for GURPS. He has uh, he worked on Dis for Decipher and Last Unicorn on the Star Trek role playing game. Uh, he did Secret Societies, Major Arcana, Nephilim. He did uh, Major Sorcerer's Crusade. I mean, I'm just reading down his.
0: He also um, did, yeah, he did one of my favorite games. I don't know if, if you guys haven't played Trail of Cthulhu, but it's absolutely amazing.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, there is that as well. Yeah. <laughs> And he's a real kind of ambassador of gaming, and he's always going to conventions and talking about it. And he's hugely knowledgeable, uh, certainly about World War II and, and um, a lot of, lot of uh, you know, pretty much anything in gaming. If you've got a problem, he can help you sort it out. It's fantastic. So I'll, I'll let him speak for himself.
0: <laughs> All right, let's, hear, let's have that interview. So there we, here we go.
1: Okay, I'm here with Ken Heights old friend of mine from the industry, been a big uh, inspiration to me in the past uh, when I was doing Starblazer. How's the show been for you so far? Have you seen anything interesting?
2: I haven't had a chance to get out of the booth very much because uh, we cleverly released 10 new books at Belgrade. Oh, OK. <laughs> so everyone's supposed to be all hands on deck. This is like the third time I've been able to escape onto the floor. I've seen some really good looking uh, sort of strategic war games and war-, yeah. war space games. There's a game that I can't tell you the name or publisher, but it's a game. Uh, simulating the Underground Railroad.
3: Wow. Where oh, you, I saw that. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah right. Yeah, and it's yeah. like,
2: oh, kudos to you, man. Let's stop playing the frickin' Confederates. Let's start yeah. playing the good guys. Yeah. And so I, uh, I I really like the look of that. There's another game about the American uh, Revolution. It's called, I think, Rebellion 1775. I saw that. It looked really, really terrific. I, I think it may use that 1812, that War of 1812 mechanic that was so good. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've seen a lot of stuff in that space. In uh, role-playing, um, I'd seen the... Uh, the sort of the uh, early concept art stuff for esterin when i was in yeah. france many years ago yeah and now to see it complete and final and any winning yeah, it was really really nice stuff and
1: they're, and they're such nice guys oh it's they're like, terrific
2: they're, really they're delightful and, people
1: yeah it's yeah great to see them get so many yeah. awards
2: but but in terms of and of course um, i'm standing literally uh a foot <laughs> from a pile of numenera so yeah. obviously if you're looking for uh something that is just, you know, best of breed, it's going to be something Monty and Kieran yeah. have done. Yeah. So I'm, you know, next year's ennies, I'm really glad I don't have a core book, <laughs> right? Because it's going to be, it's yeah. going to be Hillfolk, it's going to be Numenera, it's yeah. going to be 13th Age, and it's going to be yeah. Fate Core. Yeah. Yeah, try and get space as the fifth nominee there, That's true. right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, oh yeah, my yeah, lord. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm uh, I'm really excited to just, to you know, to see Numenera out, and, to, and actually to see Hillfolk and uh, Blood on the Snow from Robin yeah. out at Pelgrane. I don't know if, you, uh, if you've seen the design, but it's by Christian Knudsen, yes, the guy who does yes, Operation Fallen Reich. Yeah, nice. So pretty. Yeah. So much more beautiful and grown up than virtually anything you see in the industry. Yeah. And, man, I got, like, four pages in it. They may be the best-looking four pages <laughs> I've ever had published. It's really, Fantastic. really great. So I'm, you know, I, I, I have not, uh, you know, dived into the, the, the murky wilds of the indie game scene. So for all I know, someone's doing something really phenomenal yeah. in the serial killer teddy bear space, but I don't know what it is. <laughs>
1: Oh, it was uh, Cthulhu cats, I think. Cthulhu cats. Oh, Cthulhu. Cthulhu. Damn it, yeah. them! <laughs> They're
2: taking my IPs already. <laughs>
1: and what's I mean? What's your baby at this show? What
2: are you? At this up? show, um, Double Tap sold out, which is the new uh, release from Knights Black Agents. So I'm enjoying the Any High from Knights Black Agents. Yeah. We're moving Congratulations a gratifying number of those. Thanks yeah. very much. Uh, so that's sort of my you know job is to. Touch that a lot. I'm, yeah. you know, on sort of full-time contract with Pelgrane now. So Simon is buzzing with ideas of things to assign me to, yes. which yeah. I suppose he after busy he now. gets back to Britain and settles out, he will uh, yeah. figure out exactly what he wants me to do. Right now, right. I'm still working on the Dracula dossier for Nights Black Agents. When right. I, whenever I get in between shows yeah yeah
1: and tell me i mean what got you into gaming what made you so passionate about all this stuff that we love well
2: i was um i I think it was just chronological i was uh you know 14 years old in 1979 so I was at I the ideal age to play D&D when yeah. AD&D came out. I yeah. started actually with the basics set right before that. Yeah. So, but, but it was something you know my friend Matt did, and so we would get together after school and run through the, I think it was a blue book version, oh, yeah. the Holmes D&D, and then Monster Manual drops like right as I'm discovering this new hobby. Yeah. And it's like a whole book of monsters. <laughs> this is the greatest thing in the universe. <laughs> then the you know Players Handbook, the DM's yeah. Guide. And that was, that was it. I mean, those random tables back there kept me entertained and occupied. John M. Ford was writing role playing game reviews in Isaac Asimov's yeah. Science Fiction magazine. Yeah. And I was reading those and saying, I got to get all these games that he's talking about. They're so great. Wow. And then, of course, Call of Cthulhu comes out in 1981. Yeah. And I was already a Lovecraft fan. And, yeah. you know, it's, yeah, it's like. Literally, you, you know, you fall in love with the girl, you you marry the girl you fell in love with in high school. That's what <laughs> happened to me in gaming, right? I, right? I fell in love with Call of Cthulhu and, I, and yeah. I've and uh, i been faithful ever since in my fashion. And what turned you on to writing games? That sort of an accident, I, um, uh, again, I went to university the University of Chicago, or grad school rather, so I was a cheap train ride away from Gen Con so I could meet the right. game designers and hang out with them. I would run events for Chaosium, yeah. so they all kind of knew me. I had friends. Uh, a friend at run Call of Cthulhu for in high school actually he worked for Iron Crown, so yeah. I was kind of wired in. And roughly at the same time, Steve Jackson bought a game proposal that I'd given him, and Chaosium asked me to write a book for secret societies yeah. because I uh, a book for Nephilim because I had uh, done the playtesting of Nephilim because my friend Don had sent me the manuscript and said you should probably playtest this, not me, given that you're the crazy black magic weirdo. <laughs> and so I said, yeah, all right, that makes sense. So I sent them like 11,000 words of playtest feedback and they said, we're publishing that, we're paying you for it, what do you right. want to write for us? Wow. So it was right then that Steve Jackson says, oh, that proposal you badgered me about four years ago, I've just read and it's terrific and we'd like you to do GURPS alternate earths for us. So yeah. that started and all of a sudden my game hobby was mostly paying for itself Fantastic. And now I've got it pretty much to the point that it is paying for itself. So, so. You,
1: you've expanded from there. I mean, you've just done the Nazi Occult, but mm-hmm, so you've right. been doing a lot of uh, non-gaming stuff as well. Well, I've
2: been trying to uh, sort of, you know, expand the brand, as they say, go into non-fiction. Yeah. Are... Uh, Tour to Lovecraft was sort of my first real stab at that direction, yeah. Cthulhu 101. Yeah. And then I think there's a... I've been chasing Osprey like a frustrated suitor for years, oh, yeah. going after them at Book Expo or at Origins or wherever yeah. Osprey would be. I'd be sort of you know, sidling along, showing leg. And I think finally there's a sort of a critical mass of gamers in the editorial positions at Osprey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And enough of them knew who I was that suddenly the doors just popped open all at once.
1: Great.
2: So, yeah, the Nazi Occult uh, came out in June, which is the second book in the Osprey Dark Line, or the first, depending on how you count it. Yes. And one hopes, and I have reasons for optimism, that that won't be the last one yeah. that I do for them. So.
1: Fantastic. And what's on the horizon? I mean, I know obviously you're doing a lot with Hellgrain, but what's, what, what's Ken Hyde dreaming about at nighttime? You know that you'd love to do.
2: Um, I'd still uh, there's. I'd still love to do um, a big time travel game. I, yeah. I, uh, Pelgrane's going to do a time travel game that Kevin Culp has designed, and okay. I'm going to try and to re- force Kevin to let me help with that. <laughs> okay. um, there's uh, if BBC you know they they seem to start letting people play in their in their backyard. If they ever let Quatermass out of their sight, oh, yeah. I will do the world's greatest Quatermass game that nine yeah. people will want to play. So <laughs> that's going to be uh, part of my. Um, uh, t- over-targeted audience policy <laughs> that I've lived by. Brilliant. So I think those are sort of my, you know, beyond-the-reach dreams right now.
1: Yeah. Sure. yeah, that's great. Thanks a lot, Ken. Thanks a lot, great Chris. Great to you. see you. Fantastic. Yeah. Cheers. Okay, the latest news from Modifius, We have been continuing with the production and development of the Acting Cthulhu Kickstarter. We just had a massive box of... Secret War dice turn up whilst I was away at Gen Con which is very exciting. The uh, zombies have been produced, the investigator's guide is um, virtually finished on layout, we're just doing some final checks on it and the keeper's guide uh, starts in layout imminently alongside um, Dim Martin's delivery of the final art which is great, I'm really looking forward to seeing the rest of the art for the book, we've got a load, a load of it already. We also have uh, continuing playtesting going on Mutant Chronicles and we're expecting to issue the 1.3 version of the Mutant Chronicles playtest soon. So if you want to join up, follow the link for Mutant Chronicles playtesting on our page. And we are launching playtesting for Dust Adventures, the role-playing game based on Paolo Parente's Dust universe in about a month's time. We have another team working on the core development of the system. And it's really exciting to see all this progressing and seeing everyone getting together and coming up with some really genius ideas. Meanwhile, uh, we are also working on this other stuff being delivered. I just found out that all our exciting investigators' bags arrived in the, um, c- the port in the UK, r- ready to go to the warehouse. So there's a kind of whole mass of stuff uh, starting to descend on us. And it looks like we'll be shipping out the PDFs um, middle of September and then the actual bulk physical shipments early in October. So that's news from Modiphius at the moment.
0: And now is the time of the show where we talk about mobile board gaming. Uh, Board gaming has been evolving over the, actually, centuries. And the latest thing is it's getting very exciting. We're getting a lot of stuff uh, for the iPad and for the iPhone. Um, So this is the part of the show where we talk about what uh, Chris and I are playing as far as mobile board gaming goes. And I think we're going to start with Chris. Okay,
1: I've got this game called Lines of Fire and it's uh, I just discovered it. It's a hex-based war game, which uh, has pretty much the same units on both sides. Uh, from what I can see, uh, you don't really have a, a, a difference in um, tanks or, or infantry. Uh, you have some light vehicles, the, the Americans have Jeeps, the Germans have motorcycle and sidecar. Um, then you've got tanks. Infantry and a commander. You pick a map. Uh, the maps are reasonably large hex maps. Um, you've got a whole selection from sort of a, hed- a hedgerow map to a town. You've got to capture a number of strategic locations. Now, what is really clever about this game? You can play multiplayer or Uh, single player, you pick whether you want to be Americans or Germans and you can play with fog of war now the cool thing is if you're playing against an opponent and you've got fog of war on, you can tilt the iPad uh, towards you it's only an iPad game, Uh, you can tilt the iPad towards you and you see all your hidden units appear and you can then move them, but when it's flat on the table, only the units that are visible to both sides are visible and then of course the opponent can tilt it towards them and then they can see their Uh, pieces. And I think that's a really good development in uh, board board games for iPad games. Now,
0: is this if we're playing together using the same iPad? Yeah,
1: that's correct. Yeah. Okay. So the game plays with a kind of seesaw of command points. You don't start with any units on the board at all. You need a commander to move units. And the cost in command points of moving a unit is the distance from your commander. So obviously, the more commanders you have, the better. A commander costs six points to bring on the board, which gives the enemy six points to spend. So this, I'm just playing a a quick game now. And the Germans just bought a commander. So it gave me six points. But the cool thing is, is they won the initiative. So they own zero position. So when I spend those six points, he now can spend more or rather had spent six he would be down to zero and he could still act again so it's quite clever how it's balanced that um, you obviously try and take out people's commanders because then it's going to cost them loads of points to move their units which gives you points to bring on more units and it, it swings backwards and forwards quite nicely and it is very much about building up your forces and using a, a large group of forces to t- take on the enemy and i've had some great games with this so far and it's um i'm i'm hopeful that they will introduce varied units in future expansions they already said they're going to be doing more maps allegedly it's based on a board game but i've not seen the board game on board game geek I think they might be thinking about doing board game, um, but it's it's a very good execution of a um, of a World War Two hex based war game. So,
0: uh, sort of how does it play? Is, it, is this sort of a very realistic war game, or is it more of a beer and pretzels type?
1: It's you know what it's got um, elements of uh, Memoir Forty Four because when you you're you're typically moving one. You can have up to three units in a hex, and they could be a half-track, a tank, an infantry unit, a commander, an artillery gun. Um, When you attack, you roll dice looking for certain symbols, very much like Memoir 44. So they've taken some ideas from Memoir 44 map mixed it up with a typical hex game where you're not looking to see if you get the right kind of cards to move your units you can move your units anywhere on the map but you are limited by how far you are from your commander so if you've left your cool expensive tanks like four hexes away it's gonna cost you four command points to move each one which is gonna give the enemy lots of stuff to do so you have gotta really think about where your commander is there's some great terrain, there's blocking terrain, there's terrain that gives you cover. But it's very similar if you know how the Memoir 44 system works where yeah. you roll dice and you're looking for certain symbols that means a tank hits or an infantry hits or, a, or anyone hits. So it's, it's a slight tweak to that, but you'll, you'll be very familiar with that if you know it. And it plays pretty quickly and it, and it looks great. So definitely advise people to pick it up if they're a World War II strategy fan.
0: So how long does it take a typical game to, to play through?
1: I'd say maybe um, I, when I play it solo, it's probably half an hour, maybe only 40 minutes, if that.
0: And so that game is, it looks like uh, about 6 bucks in the App Store, and you can play multiplayer if you've got somebody with you, but you cannot play uh, online multiplayer. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, just um, it's, it's very much designed to play as a iPad tabletop board game, uh, which I think, you know, is great. And it's, it's got some great systems for doing that well.
0: I think one of the terrific things about uh, moving some of these games onto the iPad, um, because it's like a touch thing, it's very it's, it's tactile, like if you're playing a physical game, but obviously the processor can process a lot of the tables and the dice rolls and things like that. that would normally slow, roll, uh, slow a game down. And one of the game the game that I'm sort of going to talk about this week is... Battle of the Bulge, and this is something that actually, Chris, you turned me on to, and I can't thank you enough. Uh, It's a fantastic game. I have actually been looking at all different types of war games on the PC for a while and haven't really found any that really kind of like bring the experience of a really nicely produced tabletop war game onto the computer. And this game does that. Um, I mean, if you just take a look at the board for this game, the map is absolutely beautiful. Um, I love the counters because they've got a lot of information written on them that you need, like the unit number and the strength of uh, of the unit, which is... Uh, sort of its health as well as its attack power. And it's got like nice little icons there. I can see that they've got a half track for the Panzer Grenadiers. They've got a little tank for the tank units. And um, basically it's the Battle of the Bulge. Uh, So the Germans start out with a head start and they get to have a few free attacks against the Americans. Um, And then they've got a race like heck to the the Moose River. in, and, you know, the Americans sort of are, are shocked and stunned and, and have to sort of uh, rally their forces to try and stop them. And um, I, this is, I got to say that for a tabletop war game being brought over to the computer it is one of the finest examples and the fact that it is only ten bucks on the iPad is, is to me absolutely fantastic. Um, if I've got one criticism of the game, I've been playing it quite a bit. I do kind of wish that there were more maps there, or that they would maybe break the map up into smaller pieces so I wasn't always playing on the same map. Because once Mm. you play, you actually get, I think, quite a lot of value out of the free version. The free version lets you play one scenario, which is Race to the Moose, which is sort of like, um, I guess, the the most sort of important or salient point uh, in the overall game. And if you buy, if you spend 10 bucks, then you get longer you get the longer campaign, and you can also uh, spend a couple bucks to get different generals, like you can have, it starts off that uh, Monty is the general that's controlling the Allies, but you can pay two bucks and you can get Bradley, and he's got a different style, so if you're the Germans, it's, you know, it can be quite interesting to, uh, mm-hmm. to, to play against a different general. And there's loads of history yeah. that's presented there, um, And, you know, all the history is beautiful. They've got like historic pictures and things like that. The way that the briefing is done um, in between turns or in between days is very cool. You know, it looks like like it's a stack of papers on a general's map table. I do sort of wish that they had additional maps um, because I feel the game gets a little bit samey after a while. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, and no, I agree. I mean, I, I've, um, I got one of the updates which gives you a slightly different starting point for the Germans, and it does help. It gives you a, 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 um, a fresh take on the game. I, I must admit, it's been good because you really you get into a lot of depth about the strategy of this map, and there are several directions that you can go that could lead to victory, say, for the Germans. The Americans um, have got a couple of options in terms of how they defend. But yeah, I think it's it's got such a great uh, mechanic that just providing some different um, scenarios even, you know, in the war would be fantastic. I mean, the Battle of the Bulge obviously is very well known. It's a pivotal battle in World War II. It's the last attempt of the Germans to uh, force the allies to some concessions uh, so that they can focus on the Eastern Front. And if they had um, had had uh, more, if they'd, they'd got managed to get their convoys through the woods, better, if they'd had um, less uh, command and control on the American side and if there's a whole bunch of factors contributed to them failing, um, but, you know, it was damn lucky that they didn't. So um, it's, it's, it's a great battle to get your head around and to discover the strategy and the sort of desperate holding action being that was taken by some very small units.
0: Yeah, one, two of the things that I thought are really fascinating about this game. One is that the Americans, uh, it's, it seems to be all about bridges. They've got to control these bridges. When I'm playing against you and you were playing the Allies, I was playing the Axis, I would think that I've got a superior force next to your force so I can move in, and then you're blocking yeah. the bridge so I can only move one tank unit in or I can't move anything in at all. So it yeah. really broke up. You were able to use the terrain to really break up the, the offensive power of my... Of my uh, That's right, yeah, because
1: they... Uh- They got very much caught in... I mean, there's a whole bunch of rivers on this map. I mean, we're in the middle of a game now, and I'm playing the Allies, and I've managed to get into a kind of a bit of a line of defence, and the sort of reinforcements are starting to appear. So it's um, there are many different ways of playing this, but I really hope that they will... Take the vehicle that they've built now, this sort of great game engine, and just go right. Let's do, uh, let's do maybe the Battle of Kursk, or let's do you know some other really well-known battles, and um, and utilise the sort of mechanics they've got because it would be awesome, and this would be a fantastic game, and it's got a great multiplayer. Um, feature, hasn't it? Because you can it's have loads smooth. of games running. Yeah, I mean, we had two games running where I was the Americans and I was the Germans versus each other. So exactly. you can have dozens of games running and then you get a little heads up, okay, so-and-so's taking their turn. It's So I mean, at one point, I had five or six games running with people uh, through the game center. And so even though you're sending a turn to each other, and maybe you don't get a turn back from that person for a day or a few hours, you've always got someone sending you a turn back. So pretty much every few hours there was something to kind of mull over and think, what are you going to do?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm in Japan and you were in the UK. But, I mean, when we were both up, we were getting through these games, uh, you know, I think in a half hour you can really get through a game maybe in 15 minutes yeah. if, if people are really yeah, yeah. right there. And you brought yeah. up something, you know, when the reinforced the Star Drive, which is the second... Uh, Strategic thing I want to bring up, which is that if you're, as the Germans, if you don't barrel straight through, uh, the reinforcements are going to come and you're not, you're going to be stuck. There's nothing you're going to be able to do. Yeah, and you've got to do it
1: quickly. Exactly. And you've got the historical, um, the fuel shortages that the Germans had as well. You've got the um, the ability for the German commandos to sabotage movement of units because they had the um, American speaking. uh, Germans right. who were in, in in American uniforms. And they even had uh, Panther tanks uh, customized to look like M10 tank destroyers. And um, the only reason they didn't do a lot more damage is because I think the commander who was put in con- control in them was completely useless. <laughs> 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 so, um, uh, yeah, so it was, I mean, it's amazing stuff that went on during this uh, during this battle i mean it was uh you know you got this mysterious mist that uh, gives them the sort of cover to advance this even enormous armored force uh through the woods and there's incredible stories there's one story of uh just literally a scout platoon i mean you know you're not talking more than um i don't know maybe like 20 guys and a few jeeps and they managed to hold up a whole armored column just from because they had control of a little hill and the sort of it was tight woods and you know the tanks couldn't maneuver and they managed to keep one of these whole major columns and we're talking massive uh, force uh, pinned down for ages.
0: Yeah, that's happened to me. So I'm think I'm probably gonna lose the current game <laughs> we playing. But I, you're totally right. I think they need to take this system. They need to to create more battles. And I will be lining up just purchasing every single one that they put out if you're a grognard and you're really into like you know a proper serious simulation this is for you it'll satisfy that urge it's historically accurate the order of battle is perfect but if you're new to war games it's going to be easy to pick up it is really simple they teach you as you go and within five ten minutes you're going to know how to play the game so nobody should be afraid of of this one
1: yeah awesome fun and just to add actually they did do a kickstarter recently for an american civil war version i don't know if it uses the same mechanics uh, but it looked like like they're you know, doing a sort of similar idea and that looks amazing as well
0: Wonderful, so it's Shenandoah Studio the game is uh, Battle of the Bulge and uh, we're looking for great things from them and that is mobile gaming for this week
1: Alright, and then um, we're going to have a chat to Paolo Parente now I managed to catch up with him at Gen Con um, I first got talking to him about Acton Cthulhu Uh, When we were running the Kickstarter, I had this awesome idea to do a crossover with the Dust Tactics and Dust Warfare universe. Uh, For those who don't know, in the Dust universe, the idea is that the Nazis discover a crashed UFO in Antarctica. They retro-engineer the technology and manage to build these giant walkers, which are powered by a mysterious mineral. And it turns out that Paolo was a big fan of Acton Cthulhu. I've been playing Dust Tactics as well. I picked up a box from um, eBay, funnily enough, um, with some painted stuff in it, It really awesome. Great fun, very simple. And um, so we said, look, let's do a really cool crossover. So we did a book called Secrets of the Dust, where heroes from the Dust universe get trapped on a distant Cthulhu world with heroes and villains from the Acton Cthulhu world. And they have to overcome their differences, and they have to use the power or the magic from the uh, Acton Cthulhu universe and the technology of the Dust universe to help each other escape back to their own worlds. So then I got talking to Paolo and go, you know what, why don't we do a Dust role-playing game? And he was like, hell yeah. (laughs) And so that's how we came to be doing the Dust Adventures role-playing game. Very exciting project. Yeah, I can't wait. Um, and it's and it's got a lot more crossover because the campaigns and adventures will include dust tactics and dust warfare missions. So if you're not interested in playing the role-playing game, you can still pick up the adventures because it's going to give you some extra missions. It's going to give you some extra insight into this world that you've been playing. And you're going to find out about some of the secrets of the world and some of the stuff that you don't see in the normal dust tactics and dust warfare products Um, Paolo has an amazing history Uh, he actually I'm going to let him talk about his uh, work but he was a fashion designer that's why a lot of the um, costumes on the characters look so cool he's had um, the dust board game that is kind of like a risk game in this own universe. Do you? Oh, I it's, want one. it's great. Uh, you got <laughs> to get one, man.
0: You, it's it's like Risk. It's like uh, Access and Allies with robot walkers, drop ships, and nukes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: there you go. The best
0: is nukes. You know, it's fantastic. Boom. You know, you can wipe out half of an enemy's force before you. Even yeah. Is he, a, is he a comic book artist?
1: Yeah, he's um he's well, he d- did artwork for Mutant Chronicles at the beginning and. Um, he has done a lot of work on comic books. He has uh, he, he was an italian well, he' is an Italian fantasy illustrator and as I said, graduated from a fashion school and he 's well known for a lot of big games, obviously apart from Mutant Chronicles, he works on confrontation and magic AT- yeah. 43, Wizards of the Coast Magic, um, Starship Troopers for Dark Horse Comics. This, you know, this guy's been involved in a lot of cool stuff. And Dust was his world that he'd always been wanting to work on. So it was a real honor to get to know him and to find out that we could work together to, to now be doing the Dust Adventures game. So um the uh, sound might be a bit muffled on this because it's the first day we were recording, we decided to go out and sit outside in the sunshine, so there's a bit of wind blowing, but um, anyway, enjoy the, our conversation with um, Paolo. I'm here at Gen Con with the famous Paolo Parente. Oh, him famous, good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 that's wonderful. Sitting outside in the beautiful sunshine at, uh, in Indianapolis, and so tell me what you're at Gen Con for. Well,
3: I'm very happy that uh, this GenCon we're having a booth with our new partner, Battlefront Miniatures, from New Zealand. They are our new partner in distribution for the Dust Tactics and Dust Warfare ranges. Um, And this is very exciting. So I decided to come over and help them promote the game, the miniatures. And actually they told me that uh, since this morning they've been selling very, very well. They right. had to stop selling. Otherwise, by tomorrow there's nothing left. <laughs> that sounds Brilliant. good, sounds good, yeah. That's
1: fantastic. Good and, reception. Um,
3: and you live in China? I, yes, I deserve the punishment, yeah. and I <laughs> live in China, yes. I've been naughty when I was young, ah. and now I get this. And
1: whereabouts do you live?
3: The place I live is a, is a small village okay. In the outskirts of a big industrial city, that has outskirts of the outskirts, and I'm in mean there, like in the right. outskirts of the outskirts. The city is called Shenzhen. is yeah. a is a big industrial village of 16 million people. Wow. Yes. And but the place where I live is called Ping San, mm. and it's really outside of everything. Yeah. And it's kind of isolated and wonderfully isolated. I'm the only foreigner in there. So people look at me like uh, the albino gorilla and they take pictures of me. (laughs) I live in a factory. Also, this is part of my punishment for being not in my youth. And where we manufacture all the miniatures. So I, I get to supervise the designing process, the engineering process the sculpting, of course, the manufacturing itself of the plastics yeah. Yeah. and the finished product. And it's, it's wonderful. I mean, besides being stuck in the factory in the middle of nowhere, yeah. it's a wonderful experience, yeah. full of fulfillment. Yeah. Yes.
1: And china's is a very beautiful place. Right. Well. It
3: is. Not where I live. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. not. It's funny, we always say, because uh, we're in the south part of China, not too far from hong kong hong kong is a beautiful city and uh, there is a lot of typhoons in the summer and the good part of Pingsan is that when the typhoon comes and destroys everything things look exactly like the day before
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's a crappy place yeah 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 but oh, it's okay.
1: okay great and um, a lot, lot of people would know you for 80
3: 8043. Yes. And,
1: uh, so, how did Dust come about?
3: Well, actually, Dust was created a lot long time before.
1: Yeah.
3: 8043. Actually, Dust was the reason why the people, the nice people from Rackham wanted to hire me to direct the project of for 8043. Right. They love the Dust designs. They love the the team starts from, from the reality, the history, and then uh, they, they, they wanted to have the same feel. Actually, for a moment, Jean Bay, who was, was the president of uh, Rackham, wanted to do Dust as a major game. But in the end, he decided not. He wanted Rackham to own the IP not give the AP for free, of course. Of course. So yeah. that was settled in a friendly manner. And then he said, okay, just do something similar, but with a more generic science fiction background. And we came up with the 843, and it was it was good. Great. It was good. And where, and where does
1: the name Dust come from?
3: Oh, it's a funny story. Dust comes from me wanting to have a negative feel in the name that would communicate a negative feel about war itself yeah. because my story is talking about a war that is being very ugly mm. and twisting it into a science fiction game and the science fiction universe but I still wanted to have some negative feeling in the name and you know dust is you know war, war makes everything into dust right Yeah, yeah. and and the funny story is that when I met my partner, William, who's Chinese, from Hong Kong, um, he asked me if I had a project available because he wanted to develop some action figures at the time. I said, yes, yeah, I have this project. And what's the name? Dust. Perfect. We do it. He didn't even see the drawing. <laughs> because dust sounds like that, that in Cantonese means can be. Ah, okay. So can be successful. Ah, <laughs> You know. I love Chinese culture. And
1: you've come a long way since. There's been the board game, there's been graphic novels, the whole miniatures and, and dust tactics and dust warfare line. I mean, what is there any one strand of it that you feel more passionate about or more excited? I think um, we've been very
3: lucky. Uh, there is still people out there liking the World War II team ga- games and universes. Um, the miniature game is very exciting, both both versions, both tactics and, and warfare, um, and uh, people appreciate the, the coolness in the design when they see the science fiction, but they also see all the little historical details or the e-projects details, all yeah. this stuff in my opinion yeah and it's it's good it's rewarding because our our fans really look at our products and point
1: out the little things they love and yeah. they get excited as well it's Yeah, cool. and it's quite well known for your art style the sort of very sort of 40s 50s pin-up uh, looks the characters very you know larger than life as well.
3: absolutely that that is a must yeah i think there is no fun if you don't have beautiful ladies around you yeah. They, 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 there must be. There must be. And it's not historical. I mean, German troops didn't have female fighters. Yeah. Uh, the U.S. didn't also. The Russians did, of yeah. course. But who cares? I mean, we have we have women with with proportions and guts, and yeah. and they go for glory. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah Why yeah. not?
1: Yeah. 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 Great. And uh, what's going to next for the studios? Are you uh, any exciting projects? Well, the of course, they role playing game, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chris, Which this just very, been yeah. This is talking about.
3: Yeah. It's very exciting. Uh, I think it will give the universe more depth. Yeah. And uh, it's been very well welcomed by our gamers and our fans. Yeah. And this is wonderful. Yeah. That means they are smart people. They understand. They appreciate the beauty of your products. They appreciate what you do, and they they can't wait to see this. Translate it to a dust yeah. universe. I think it's
1: wonderful. I think one of the uh, unique things is what we're trying to do is bring the, uh, the two communities together, so that you, you won't just be playing a role-playing game, but you'll have new missions with dust tactics and dust warfare together in the same yeah. campaign books and, and kind of bring that whole group. It's, it's a full new dimension to our universe. Yeah. We are very excited
3: yeah. ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And,
1: and also exploring the story, we were just talking about the backstory yeah. to uh, Dust and, and there's so much that hasn't been told yet, which we can tell. We, we can tell
3: this we in more business. detail, that we can never do yeah. for, the, for the miniature game. I think it's a very good occasion, yeah. Yeah, in, a, in a wonderful partnership. Right.
1: And how did you get into drawing?
3: I was... nice no, that's funny. When I was a kid, I wanted to pilot helicopters. Yeah, <laughs> that was like my my, my thing, and yeah. uh, I would build helicopter model kits, and I was just loving helicopters. Um, then you grow up and you 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 see that things are different from with your grown-up eyes, and I look into fashion and fashion design, mm. and you know it was the 80s, the boom of it Made in Italy, and whatever and say, oh, fashion design is cool. So I moved to Milano from my little hometown on the seashores in Liguria. And yeah. um, I attended what was at the time the best fashion academy in Italy. Yeah. And this is when I learned how to draw. Right. I was a grown up, it was like college. You know? yeah so it was uh, 19 and i started to learn to learn how to draw and yeah. for the design and i got passionate about that and uh, yeah. uh, from from fashion design i moved into fashion illustration and and then i started doing professional illustrations for fashion magazines in italy at that time they had a lot of illustrations in their pages that was a 80s thing, After in the 90s, it was already gone. Yeah. But I was very happy. Yeah. In that time, I got acquainted with miniature games, no, role-playing games first.
1: Yeah, what was your first one?
3: Oh, Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. of course. Okay. Yeah. You know, we are all born yeah. like, with Dungeons and Dragons. And the, actually, the thing I liked with Dungeons and Dragons was, was that I could play with miniatures. Right. And I discovered this whole new world. Because when I was a kid in Italy, Fantasy did not exist as a genre. I mean, mm-hmm. there was the movie Conan, right? Right, yeah. That was it. Yeah. You know, Excalibur, that yeah. was it. Uh, so, I discovered this new world, you know, that I'm we talking about, you know, 30 years ago, mm-hmm. and these new experiences and the miniatures, of course, the Citadel, Games Worship miniatures. Yeah. Uh, and it was like, wow, this is so cool. Little by little, through the passion for my hobby, I started drawing fantasy characters,
1: Right.
3: just for fun. Yeah. Then I was lucky enough that uh, a good friend was starting a publishing company in Italy, doing role-playing games, Italian versions, Italian editions for sorry for role-playing famous role-playing games yeah. like uh, Call of Cthulhu. Uh, the Lord of the Rings or playing game oh, yeah. at the time. Yeah. And he asked me to do illustrations for that. Great. A little by little, then I, I met the people from Mutant Chronicles, yes. the Target Games people. Uh, God bless them.
1: Yeah.
3: And that was very lucky for me, for yeah. my career. And little by little, I started doing this new type of. So, I mean, job. that's
1: is that where a lot of the, you know, your characters in Dust always have very well thought-out outfits and uniforms?
3: It comes from there. Yeah, yeah. It comes from there. The, yeah, there are the scene, the, the lines, yeah. the cuts. Yeah, and
1: I think that helps. It just brings it to life more because it actually looks like a real kind of outfit.
3: I of get, this. I get this often, yes. Yeah. I, because I do this without realizing I'm doing this. Yeah. Of course, it's yeah. it's, it's training. In, it's my training. That yeah. That's the way I see things yeah, yeah. in uniforms. And then a lot of people realize that it's this way. And it's cool.
1: Yeah, it's
3: cool. I appreciate the, Great. the people looking carefully at what they do. Yeah,
1: you know? yeah, fantastic. And what's, what's new on the Dust uh, release schedule that you can talk about? Well, it is very
3: exciting because we will have the second edition of Dust Tactics yeah. early next year.
1: Okay. New box set Sorry.
3: a new box set a full book with the full rules wow. Great. then the campaign sets that will be generated afterwards will have both systems dust tactics ah, and right. warfare okay. inside the same campaign box yeah. uh, starting with the next wave of products uh, Every box will include Dust Tactics cards and Dust Warfare cards. Ah, right. So we're getting clo- the two systems yes, closer. Yeah. Not mixing them, yeah. not, not getting confused, but yeah. everything available at the same time yeah. for everybody. Right, I think okay. is very important.
1: What can people expect in the in the new second edition? Is there any kind of different contents? Or? Well, the
3: system is better balanced. Yeah. Uh, skill, some skills have been rewritten. The engine is the same. Yeah. We want the same fast and easy approach. Yeah. We we aim for having fun with the gaming yeah. and no headaches. So this is what is about the tactics. And the spirit is still there. Yeah. But of course, after three years, we know that there is there are some bugs here and there, yeah. some things that should be better balanced. Some yeah. skills need to be rewritten. And and that's it, and then for next year Gen Con, I think you will see a new army. Oh, wow! Yeah, not yet the drills, not yet the drills, but a new army. Okay, yes. great. We will get to the aliens when we are mature enough. <laughs> <laughs> when when we can face them. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, because the, those great. aliens are meant to be business. Yeah.
1: Yeah, sounds scary. Well, thank you very much, Paolo. Mm, thank you. And uh, yeah. see you soon. Absolutely.
0: And and an interesting thing, one thing I read about Paolo Parente uh, is that he, like me, and like probably a lot of people, a lot of fans, um, was into plastic modeling as a kid and used to get these sort of like tank kits and jeeps and things like that and sort of kit bash them and take parts from one and parts to the other. And this is how he developed a lot of these walkers and things like that in the Dust universe that are science fiction, but they still look like, you know, it might have a walker with the the turret of a Sherman tank and this kind of thing.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. I mean, I know he loves his um, kitbash stuff and his big models, and they do a kind of collector's range of sort of larger scale models. But, I mean, even when I saw him at uh, Gen Con, he had this bag full of big model kits he'd picked up from some of the stands. So I know he's a a big fan of that stuff, and he gets uh, just so excited. And, he's, you know, he's such an easygoing guy to work with and talk to is like yeah it's all going to be fine you know and that's you know it's just the kind of person you want to be working with
0: and when I found out that uh, Modiphius was going to be doing a a collaboration with him it was the most exciting thing because I've been a fan for ages so we're all really looking forward to Dust Adventures role playing game
1: We are going to be talking about what's on your table next. We're talking about uh, games that we have been playing recently, that we like, other companies' games. And, um, Josh, what have you been... Uh,
0: the games that i've been playing some uh somewhat older games that i bought a long time ago and um have not gotten a chance to play till recently we all know the drill um and the one that uh really caught my attention lately is claustrophobia now i don't know if you guys uh if you know about this one but it's from the hell dorado universe and essentially uh it's sort of like uh there's an inquisition it's it's vaguely steampunk uh they've got uh you know sort of pistols and things like that as well as uh, swords and axes and stuff but essentially the idea is that there's an there's an inquisition and the inquisitors uh, in this game are trapped in hell uh, under New Jerusalem and they have to fight their way out and they have to fight past troglodytes which are sort of I think goblins or something like that and then there's also demons Um, and the way the game works is there's a stack of tiles and you just start laying the tiles out turn by turn as you explore the edges, similar to Legend of Drist or some of the, uh, some of the D&D board games that have come out. And um, then the... If you are playing, you know the forces of hell. Then you have a certain number of threat points each turn that you can use um, to sort of like put troglodytes on the board, or put demons there, or you know play cards that have effects on on sort of the quote-unquote good guys. And one of the things that's interesting is is they have a really simple system for controlling abilities and damage. Um, at the the Human player rolls some dice, and then they take the die, each die, and they put it in their little player card um, with a certain number showing on the top, like three, five, six, or whatever. And based on this, this shows what, your, what that character's stats are. And you've got, like, 3 or 4 characters per scenario. Um, and, you know, so if you put 3, then that means uh, that this turn, this guy's going to be, like, you know, really good at, at offensive fighting but not so good on defense, and he'll have a decent movement allowance. You know, and, But it depends. Um, and when you get injured... Uh, you put a little peg in one of the slots that represents one of the 1 through 6 um, stat ranks on your card. So that means that all of a sudden, not only might you not be able to uh, to, to have like you know, the strong offense option, but it means when you roll the dice, if you roll a number and uh, you roll you know, three threes and you've got three guys and one of the guys has, uh, you can't use three on him, then you lose that that die. So I mean, it, what happens is that as you get injured, you very quickly loo- your your players very quickly um, lose their abilities, and you know it becomes much tougher for you to be able to get them to do stuff. Um, if 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 you can't match the number, then basically they have to sort of stand there while the troglodytes attack them. Um, it moves really fast. This game reminds me a lot of Space Hulk. Um, except that it doesn't take an hour to set up and an hour to put back in the box. Uh, and there's not, and the miniatures are pre-painted so you don't have to paint them. If you want to play uh, Space Hulk, but you only have like an hour at lunchtime, then this is the game for you. Uh, it doesn't take up nearly as much space. The tiles are absolutely beautifully painted and they're quite large and they're very thick. Um, you know, probably three, maybe three millimeters thick, something like that. And uh, it's... and and it's kind of very uneven in the sense that the forces of hell have a lot of these very weak troglodytes and then you know one or two demons or hellhounds and you know the human side has a much more sort of balanced force but each type that they have um, has different sort of skills you know, one guy's big and strong one guy can do spells and then one guy is, you know, is fleet and uh, you know, and fast. So it's, uh, it, I consider it uh, something like Space Hulk Lite. The other game I've played, which is something that um, uh, I've liked for a long time, but it's been back on the table, is Battlestar Galactica, which I will not get too much into the mechanics of that, but just to say that I still don't know a game that takes a property, intellectual property, like a TV show or a movie, and does such a great job of delivering uh, you know, the feeling of that onto the table f- with some people. Uh, essentially speaking, you're the humans and you're trying to uh, evade the Cylons and jump until you get to the planet Caprica. And the only thing is, one of you on board is a Cylon and you don't know who it is. Uh, and so there's a lot of distrust and things like that that can happen. There's loads of Cylons showing up all the time, uh, following you from jump to jump. They're trying to hack into your computer system. They're uh, sending Centurions on board to march up to the bridge and slaughter everybody. If, you've, if anybody's seen like Series 1, Episode 1 of Battlestar Galactica, uh, the Episode 33, where the Cylons are doing all of those things, it is that experience. <laughs> and that was, the, that was the one that got me hooked on the series. It is that experience. So get you know a few friends together. The game is after a couple turns. Everybody's going to know how to play. I play with some non-gamers, and uh, you know they picked it up right away. Uh, it's a fast game, and it just really gives you that Battlestar Galactic experience. So that is what's on my table.
1: Great. I mean, I keep hearing good stuff about Battlestar Galactica, I still haven't played it. Yeah, I it's not even getting, expensive. I, it's a great game. We I know had some
0: expansions. I haven't yeah. even bothered because the, the original base game is is just so good. You really yeah. get that feeling of distrusting. I played one game where uh, one of the players was so paranoid uh, that he just ended up putting the most important people in the brig, and then they couldn't get out. And it turned out that
1: those people weren't silenced. You know, so, uh. <laughs> so What's on um, your table, I- Chris? Well, I picked up a couple of games at Gen Con. Uh, You've actually, got new ones. I'm jealous. Ooh, new shiny. Actually, I'm going to talk about these four things I picked up. A couple of them aren't really games. But um, one quick thing is someone has done a doomsday map of Seattle. And it's basically a – it's like you'd buy a map of the city, but it, the whole place is wrecked. It's like post-apocalyptic style, hmm. which I thought is – Brilliant for, you know, if you're playing Gamma World or uh, any other kind of uh, post-apocalyptic games, it just gives you. And it comes with a little guidebook describing all the um, little the main sort of uh, squares on the grid. And it's all painted in. You know, you can see ruined ships, craters, you know, um, it's great. It's just this fun little thing. That Can was, I play miniatures uh, I like, games on that, or is it a reference for you, RPG players? You could play. It would be large scale. You'd probably be moving a unit of, you know, tanks. You couldn't be moving tanks and infantry around. It's not that kind of scale. It's more – it's like, it's like buying a, a map of the center of London. You know? So
0: I could get, for example, if I had uh, some division-sized, you know, Hex and Counter games or something like that, I could yeah, play, put yeah, those
1: yeah, in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. a cool homebrew. No. Yeah. Now, the other thing that was really good was um, the Noteboard Pocket Dry Erase Board. right now and worry later. Now, this is a pocket-size dry erase board, as it says on the side of the tin, that folds out. It's kind of like um, almost half postcard-size uh, faces that pull out and you make this big dry wipe. Board. And so you can, on one side it's got hexes and squares in a kind of um, faint pattern, so you can use either. And the other side it's blank. Yeah. So you literally pull it out of the bag, unfold it, and you've got a giant whiteboard. And it comes with a little uh, pen and um, wiper. Now, we used it last night to play The Quiet Year, uh, which is a fantastic um, storytelling game. Now, this basically comes with a deck of cards right and it is uh you know 52 deck of cards standing for 52 weeks in the year and the idea is basically you've all you're a community of people that have just stumbled out of the bunker um after um, some kind of disaster it can be whatever you want it to be we 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 played it that cthulhu came back mm. <laughs> so and you basically take a blank piece of paper or that cleverly uh, purchased fold out wiperboard. and exactly you just dis- each of you describes um a resource that you have that it, uh and you then descri- just decide whether it's you have plenty of it or a shortage of it you then um each of you draw something on the map like okay so i i drew some mountains okay we're in the in the lee of mountains and then um simon my friend we ended up playing with drew a bay and then we said okay well we don't have much um, uh, shelter so we were living in tents under these trees so you basically are telling a story and you take turns drawing a card which um, is a week of the year and what what happens is at some point in the winter so at some point in the last quarter of the year the game is going to end you don't know where and each card is the events of a week so for example Ah. just drawn for spring and it says there is a disquieting legend about this place what is it or alarming weather patterns destroy something how and what if i draw that card it's up to me to decide which one to use and the results of that no one else can interrupt or give me advice or argue with me um I just decide and make it happen now the idea is not to play one dude or girl keep them alive make them super powerful it's not a role-playing game like that you are kind of experimenting with what happens with this small society of people when things go wrong
0: oh, like in a what zombie
1: happens, zombie movie or something like that you could do you could play a zombie apocalypse like this exactly you could play a group of survivors in a fortress and Uh, what happens to them and stuff happens through the year that you're trying to use uh, when you draw a card you can then have a discussion where each of you can i might say uh i think we should soon build a fishing boat and then everyone can give you an answer uh, a short answer but you then don't say any more it's up to you to take on board what they might have said um as you describe the answers you draw on the map what happens so for example um i drew that we were building a fishing boat so i drew a little fishing boat being built on a, on some rolls of wood and then simon drew that we found a um uh a, an abandoned mine in the hillside so he drew a little mine on the hillside and you gradually build up this map with all these sort of fascinating things sorry, so at the end of your turn, you can then um, start a project which we okay, I did, I'm going to build a ship uh, or a fishing boat. I think it's gonna take three weeks. So I put a three on a dice on top of that little drawing. And then every week, whoever's turn it is, reduces the dice by one until it's finished. And then they describe how successful it was. So it's very simple. We played it in about an hour and a half. We played a shortened version because you can take a number of weeks out of of each season, and we we came up with this crazy story. We had, we had mutant mountain cats that turned into battle cats because we fed them salted fish, and we built them. That is true.
0: That does happen.
1: It it does. Yeah, it's amazing. We built them a wooden uh, uh, mountain cat uh, pyramid because someone got obsessed with them. Uh, We've discovered a secret bunker. A metal door, just like Lost, inside the mine. We discovered uh, ruins of a, a mysterious research center. We had some bikers turn up uh, with um, AK-47s, and we managed to build a fake Thunderdome to lure them in. And two of the um, two of the uh, uh, members of the community sacrificed themselves to trap <laughs> the bikers. <laughs> I mean, it's just—it's amazing. The story you can create and it was just actually two of us trying out but um i've, I've played it with a whole group and it's it's hilarious this
0: seems like uh, a good
1: game night game
0: and you know people it are drifting, is, it drifting
1: is. out, you know you only exactly. got an hour or something like that sometimes. yeah exactly because someone can just take a couple of turns and they go away and it's uh and it's fascinating when you see the map at the end of it and it literally i mean this game i think it was about twenty dollars twenty five dollars and it's literally a pack of cards and a little um, literally a tiny little booklet. And it was so – there's no rules. There's no like, okay, you're going to have to roll dice if you do this. It's literally a very simple guide. You draw a card and you can do one of three things afterwards. And any dice that show a number, reduce them by one. That's it.
0: Okay. And so there is a system up. to prevent it from being just sort of – Oh, yeah. It's storytelling.
1: Not kind of like, oh, uh, everyone dies. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's the, the idea – is not to give all the community a really easy time and they all win and they all become superpowers and superheroes and go and live happily ever after in the sky. Yeah. The idea is to go, uh, like, you know, okay, someone goes missing. Okay, it's the doctor with our medical supplies. He goes missing. What, how are we going to get around that? What are we going to do you know, to solve it? We had a um, battle go horribly wrong uh, with these um, <laughs> with these... Uh, we sent our, our our few our few trained soldiers off on the battle cats mm-hmm. uh, to uh, um, to fight these um, poisonous fruit e- eating nomads in the forest who uh, had killed a few of our people and um, and and we had a car that said something fails or. A project failed. So we said, okay, well, the battle failed. We lost all of them. Only one guy came back wounded. So it's interesting to know how do you deal with, as a little community, these things. So you could be playing a zombie apocalypse. You could be playing an alien invasion. You could be playing a nuclear catastrophe. You could be playing the aftermath of any kind of major disaster where people are forced together and having to deal with um, issues like this. It's very, it's great fun.
0: Now, could so, you yeah. use this with your post-apocalypse
1: map of uh, Seattle? you know what you could because you could put a plastic overlay on top that's what I'm uh, thinking when, when you were saying yeah, that, it was like out yeah. in Seattle hello and, okay. and then you could be drawing in detail into that so uh, and it gives you little guidance like do you want to be be playing a kind of weird kind of game with all sorts of weird technology and it gives you some very uh, very basic ideas which is super simple now the other game I picked up was a great little this is 25 bucks it's called Hero vs. Guardian it's a game of Dungeon Craft And basically, the one guy is the GM. He's got a bunch of tiles he lays down in a grid of four by four. Each tile is a room. And each room is marked evil, brute, trap, or magic. And you have a hero, so you can have up to um, three hero players. Each hero starts with a couple of heroes. Each hero has, guess what, a stat for uh, trap Brute, magic or evil okay. which is uh, a, anything between plus one and plus four and you simply roll a dice and you have to get a six with your modifier from your hero to beat the room uh, now the cool thing is that the GM can add more cards on top of those rooms, some of those are bad rooms some of those are easy, he can add more monsters on top uh, and if you basically fail the roll your hero is captured by the the games master, and or the the dungeon keeper, and um, if you beat the room, you capture the room, you conquer the room. So you basically get the points for the room, or the GM gets the points for the hero. And That's, if
0: I get captured, am I out of the game, or can I keep playing?
1: Yeah, well that character is out of the game, but you can buy more heroes. There's a little tavern. There's so you basically have a little a deck of cards or heroes and a deck of items and magic that you can buy. And you have like six tokens that you use to, if you go conquering, you have to decide which hero is going into the first room and uh, then which hero goes into the next room. And you don't know whether the room is a magic room or a brute room or an evil room. So you don't know whether the hero you're sending in first is suitable or not and might get captured. But you can scout the rooms instead, which costs less points, but you then don't get to conquer the rooms um it's you're less likely to get captured and um you can then find out what's in the room and then decide to send your heroes in in the right order next time it's so easy it's really fun the artwork's really kind of (laughs) like disney style yeah it's quite cartoonish
0: Uh, it's all it reminds me almost of munchkin or john kovalk but like quite a bit more exactly
1: yeah it's a kind of like tile-based munchkin i'd say uh, it's so easy mechanics. We had like four of us playing, literally, I hadn't looked at the rules. Uh, I had a quick play test at the show. I literally pulled it out of the box. They so were playing this and we, you know, we were up and running in five minutes and, um, just I need that great- game. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, those
0: are the games you need when you have game night coming, you know, people coming over and you, you've worked all week and you, you're not very, you're very busy. You yeah. need a game like that. Can you exactly. play this okay. game while you drink beer? Uh, I'm sure you could.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's easy because it's you know it's a bunch of cards on the table. It'd be so simple. And this was kickstarted as well. Now they had another game. I don't remember the name, but I'm going to put a link onto it, which looked fun. And it's basically running a little town that happens to be next door to Mordor. Now, what a cool idea mm-hmm. is that. <laughs> is this a comedy it game? Town. It's it looked to be a bit of a comedy game. I didn't try it, but I had a quick flick through the cards, and you've got to basically build. Buildings to attract residents. You have got to hire heroes to fend off the occasional attack of creatures. And we were talking about it last night, going, "Oh, we're gonna have to get that one as well." And I kind of wish I picked it up at the show as well, because that kind of whole idea of like, "Yeah, come and live in our town." We've yeah, we kind of have this this big tower with a big eye over there, but don't worry about it. <laughs> so uh, it's just it's just a great idea, you know. And that is what I've well, well that's what we played last night actually. So. Um, uh, you know, next week we're back into playtesting the next version of Mutant Chronicles, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but I mean, there's other stuff. I picked up Tremulous. I really want to give that a go, which is by Sean Preston. Reality Blurs. That is the Cthulhu version of um, Apocalypse World, or as many people might know, Dungeon World, which won a, a, a great award at uh, the ennis this year. And it's a beautiful black book with white. White silhouette on it, and I've been reading the Newmanera role-playing game book this week by Monty Cook, and um, it's got some genius ideas. It's a, I love all the kind of classic old, like you know that sort of Jack Vance style um, kind of magic come post-apocalyptic technological society worlds and um, Numenera is great a great concept so I'm looking forward to giving that a go at some point there's just too many games though Josh you know.
0: absolutely and you know what all these are new things and you've given me now a huge shopping list I'm, I'm on Amazon as we speak <laughs> piling up through my cart I'm looking at uh, Numenera yeah some of the artwork of this looks fantastic and anything Jack Vance and kind of like harking back to that sort of thing. but it looks like they also have uh, some floating robot castles and some
1: yeah it's basically set uh, I think it's, it's something like nine million years in the future. Uh, and it's the ninth world. There have been nine or eight major civilizations before uh, the current present day. So you have got, if you imagine, layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of remnants and ruins of very, very, very advanced technological societies. And now it's the kind of ruins of what's left over, whatever happened, we don't know. Mm. But it's a long, long time after the last civilization collapse. And, um, you know, so technology its that whole idea that, you know, um, sufficiently advanced technology can appear like magic. And so there is, um, you know, super advanced technology lying around that you just have no idea how it works. It might appear to be like magic. And it's got a very simple system. I mean, everything for the GM is described by one stat. Hmm. Uh, So a trap is one number, a character is one number, a monster is one number, uh, and um, uh, it makes the GM's life very easy because the GM never rolls the dice. The players roll to act or to target something, and um, and then they roll to avoid being targeted. So bad guys never actually roll. I like the sound of that. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I've got to get into more depth into it. There's a lot more than that. Um, characters have actually three stats, um, so there is enough depth for players. But it's a beautiful, beautifully written system, and we're going to talk about it more with Monty Cook on the yeah, next episode. Yeah, looking forward to that. And,
0: like, when you say uh, all those civilizations that have, have crashed and, and burned and, and now, you know, we don't know whether it's high-tech or low-tech, we're dealing with. It reminds me of, if uh, you ever read the Book of the New Sun, The Shadow of the Torturer by Gene Wolfe, um, where it seems you're in a, sort of like an ancient medieval-type world, and then you, you sort of, as you read, you realize that, you know, oh, wow, that big tower is actually, was probably a spaceship.
1: Yeah, 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 I heard about that. I, so fans of that, that, I think, might like this. Advice. Yeah, and it's like the Dying Earth, you know, that classic Jack Vance yeah. book that, uh, it, you know, inspired a lot of the early Dungeons and Dragons, especially like the names of the spells. Um, it's, I mean, I'm, I was a big fan of uh, the Gamma World role playing game, the Metamorphosis Alpha role playing game. I love games of kind of, it's the barbarian stumbling around in the ruins of the past, which is always uh, just brings to life all those old. I mean, I used to just. just absorb all those old 70s sci-fi kind of fantasy books um that you know there's real classic pulp stories oh
0: yeah and it seems like that's definitely what he's going after and the art i can't say enough taking a look at the art for this is is fantastic
1: yeah really really beautiful really evocative so yeah we'll talk about that more at some point in the future and we'll, we'll catch up with monty cook next time all right Okay, in the next episode, as well as the interview with Monty Cook, chatting about Numenera and his other projects, we've also got Margaret Weiss. I managed to catch up with her at Gen Con. It was brilliant to finally meet her. She's a lovely woman. And she's going to be talking about the Firefly role-playing game, about her journey through her writing career, obviously Dragonlance and all of that. It's really exciting.
0: And if people want to take a look, there's a lot of links because you've come back, obviously, the big shopping bag from Gen Con. So all the links are going to be there on the website. Can you tell people where they can find that?
1: Yeah, so uh, just look for us. Uh, look for Modifius Calling. Um, obviously, come to Modifius.com and you can also find the show, obviously, on iTunes now. Yes.
0: All right, and uh, you know, if you guys have any feedback or anything like that, send us an email, uh, get in touch with us, and let us know uh, more about what you would like to uh, hear from Modifius and who you'd like us to talk to and what games you're playing. Uh, so see everybody next time. Awesome. Thanks, guys.